Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you. We would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's go this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, and we will read there in, in just a minute. Of course, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the series in the world, but not of it, and uh, studying out the book of 1 Corinthians. It was a letter written uh, by Paul to believers at Corinth, and if you've been with us on the journey, then a lot of the recap, it will just kind of, just kind of be here, but I want to make sure we're all on the same page as we get into our passage this morning. If you remember the Apostle Paul, of course, Paul was one of the greatest persecutors of the early church in the book of Acts, but then, uh, man, God saved him, and Paul trusted Christ as Savior, and Paul became one of the greatest proponents of the church and of of Jesus Christ, and he was the one who would travel around and would preach and would church plant. And along Paul's journeys, God brought him to the major metropolis of Corinth. Now, if you were to go today to to Corinth, of course, Corinth would be known for a number of things. It was really a a dream destination at the time that that Paul would have been there at the the time of even Paul's writing. Uh, Corinth would have been a place where uh, you could go from from ruin to riches in one generation. We know that about a hundred years before, many military men were offered to live there for free, and so there was great advancement that could be there. There was great protection that could be there because of where it was situated. Remember the word the Isthmus. It's situated right there, really separating the east from the west, and and Corinth was right there. It had the largest agora, the largest shopping center in the, the known world at the time. Really, Corinth, if you look it up and if you were there, it was the place to be. But we've also discovered that Corinth had its flaws, didn't it? Really, Corinth had deep flaws. While it might have been the, uh, a dream destination we know that it was an extreme place of idolatry and an extreme place filled with immorality. When we speak of the idolatry of Corinth, let me list for you some of the temples that they had there, all of the gods. Of course, the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of they call the goddess of love. We would say the goddess of lust. And, and that temple housed a, a thousand prostitutes that were used for, for sex, traf- tra- sex trafficking and even more at times, more than a thousand. You had the temple of Poseidon, which was the ruler of the sea. The uh, temple of Apollo, which was the god of archery, music, and dance, truth and prophecy, healing and diseases, the sun and the light, poetry, and more. God of a lot of things. You have the God of Hermes, which was uh, the herald of gods, the God of, of boundaries, roads, and travelers, thieves, athletes, shepherds, commerce, speed, cunning, wit, and of sleep. Some of you worship that God during Sunday mornings. I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, you had the God of, of Venus Fortuna, which is the goddess of, of good fortune. The God of Isis, which is the goddess of motherhood, magic, death, healing, and rebirth. There's a temple. They had one temple dedicated to all the gods. It was kind of, in case we forgot somebody, we want to uh, have an all-encompassing temple. On the slopes of Acrocorinth, where uh, the uh, temple for the uh, goddess of Aphrodite would be on the slopes there, was the sanctuary of Demeter, which dated back uh, to the 6th and 7th centuries BC, which was another god they worshipped. There was a shrine there uh, dedicated to 
uh, I would mispronounce this name, but Asclepios and the god, the god of healing and his daughter Hygieia, plus a normal temple and worship centers for the Roman rulers. Basically, what I'm getting at this morning is they were steeped in idolatry. I mean, they were just immersed in it. But not only were they immersed in idolatry, we would recognize that they were drenched in immorality. Man, because specifically of the worship of Aphrodite and all of the uh, prostitutes and slaves that would come along with that temple, Corinth was really known as just a very vile place. I've said it every week, but it was kind of one of those things. If you really, you know, if you didn't live in Corinth and you really wanted to dig at somebody, you really wanted to, to insult them, you really wanted to put them down, uh, you would say, well, you're just like a Corinthian. Hey, you're, you're just like a Corinthian. That, that's the put down. And unfortunately, it was into this city that Paul, or fortunately, Paul came in and began to preach. People began to get saved. But the unfortunate side is that the sin of the city was coming into the church. And many of the believers at Corinth, they were, they were so used to the wickedness around them in Corinth that they were beginning to allow it into the church and to kind of just, to just pass over it and to kind of see it as not a, not a big deal. And this church, the church at Corinth, you go and do some research, the church at Corinth was a very gifted church. It was a very, a very wealthy church. It was a very large church probably. And while it was known to many, many people around the region would have known about Corinth and maybe its rich heritage and its connections to, to Paul, the church planter, and to Apollos, the great speaker, and even uh, to Peter and some of the things that Peter would have in influencing that church, these believers they more resembled the Corinth around them than the Christ within them. And that's precisely why Paul wrote to them. He wrote this letter, which would actually be the second letter of Corinthians, the first Corinthians, I mean, the first letter that he wrote, we don't have record of. And so first Corinthians would be that second letter. And if you go through, I mean, he wrote to them telling them, hey, listen, once you trust Christ as savior, although you live in the world and in culture, you don't need to resemble it. No, now you have new purpose. Remember that, those of you that were here a few weeks ago, we started in chapter number one where Paul said, hey, listen, God has given you a new purpose and that purpose is to live for him and be a light for him and understand that God, that you're not just here to kind of uh, just go through time. You're not just a blob, man. You have purpose and God has gifted you with grace to go through this life. God has given you strength and he's given you all the tools you need uh, to live for him. And Paul begins to write on a number of these things and he tells them, you need to stop living like Corinth, stop seeking the wisdom and the approval of Corinth and culture and instead follow and pursue the wisdom of God. We were here last week and we understood that Paul really encouraged them with don't, don't live in pride like everybody else around you. Everybody who surrounds you, they, they live in pride and their pride causes them to try to elevate themselves and, and to become contentious and divisive even in the church. Hey, listen, don't live with that. Don't live with the world's wisdom. Don't, don't pursue what the world says is important. Instead, you pursue what God says is important. As we come to our study this morning, we're going to find Paul continue to encourage these believers to 
although while they live in the world, to not be of it. But as we come to the passage this morning, I'm wondering if you can remember with me ever being asked a question that you did not want to answer. Of course, uh, it's no secret that uh, as a child, I was really a very well-behaved child. (laughs) Why do you laugh? My mom laughed the hardest. Um, You know, growing up, of course, we like to have fun. And many of you remember uh, the Blems that were here, and Daniel and I have tons of stories of uh, just having fun. I'm not going to call it getting in trouble. I'm going to call it having fun because that's what it was for us. But right outside of our church in Greeley, Colorado, we had crabapple trees. And I remember that we would, uh, Dan and I, we would go to those crabapple trees and we would climb up in the crabapple trees so high that the traffic going by could not see us. And then we would pluck off crabapples and we would throw them at cars as they came by. Uh, we did that on a number of occasions. We, one time, I, I think I told this story a few months ago, One time, Daniel's mom, uh, she had a van that was one of those, it was almost like a 15-passenger van, but the inside was different. Some of you maybe remember those. It had a ladder. You'd climb up the top and lay on top of that van, and people couldn't see you. Well, we had, at the time, we had an ice cream machine at the church, and uh, for us, as for me as a staff kid, and Dan would be there oftentimes, it was like free ice cream anytime you wanted it, and so we'd go down, turn that ice cream machine on, we'd get ice cream, but on particularly warm days, we would go, we would get ice cream. We would try to get as many ice cream cones as we could, and then we would go outside to his mom's van. We would climb on top of the van, and we would line up those ice cream cones. We would lay down and line up those ice cream cones right beside us. And as cars would pass by, we would throw ice cream cones off at the cars and see if we could hit windshields. Another friend of mine, I'm just telling you some story. I'm telling on myself now, okay? Another time, we had a, I had a friend, his name was Justin, And it was a very hot day, kind of like it is in Moses right now. I'm thankful for even the small amount of air conditioning we have in our auditorium right now, so let's be thankful. Eight years ago, it wasn't this cool on days like this. It was 90 degrees in here. So anyway, we had uh, warm days, and traffic would be flying by. And me and my friend Justin, we uh, loaded up on super soakers, water guns. Of course, everybody's going by. All the windows are down. Uh, You know, people who had convertibles, they're, they're flying down this road. And we hid behind trees, and it was a, I mean, it is a four-lane road that went by us, one, one way. And we hid behind trees, and uh, my mom's already smirking because she knows the story. I've told it uh, before probably a few times. But we just start blasting all these cars going by. And, man, we were out there for like an hour. People are laughing. People are enjoying it. But one dude, he was not enjoying it. And he was not a... He was not a small dude. He was a big old guy. And he had a convertible down, I think, or maybe a sunroof open. And uh, me and Justin, man, we're just laughing. People are waving at us, you know, and when they, when they would see or when they were coming and they'd see us, they'd put their head out the window, hey, get me, you know, and just having fun. Man, this guy, we sprayed in his car, and I'm not exaggerating to say he pulled across traffic slammed on his brakes, almost hit the curb, and he just began chasing us. <laughs> and at the time, I wasn't as big and as buff, and you know, I was not as appealing as I am now. And uh, man, I was just super scrawny. I thought my wife would say amen. She didn't even say amen on that. I was super scrawny, and Justin was, man, he, he was probably 10 pounds soaking wet. Like he was a tiny kid. We just took off. 
because this guy is chasing them. We were dropping guns, you know, and we were gone. And I remember I was about, about uh, maybe 50 yards down, and all I heard was this. My mom's snap, it's like loud. It can like echo. And I just heard snapping. And I'm running, and I'm like, oh, man. You know, do I turn around? Do I not turn around? If I do turn around, is she going to kill me right now? How's this going to play out? And I remember I turned, and I just looked back, and she's going, you know, her finger was like 10 feet long, you know. (laughs) And me and Justin walk back, and this dude's standing there. I mean, he's fuming. You know, he's sweating, and he's ready to knock some 12-year-olds out. And uh, my mom had her, you know, two fingers, her left hand, she had two fingers on his chest, just holding them back. And she, had, she was just like, that's my son, buddy, you're not going to kill him, I'll kill him first, and then you can have the leftovers, you know? And, and I remember I walk up, and my mom asks that, you, you had the question asked, what did you do? What are you doing? You remember that when your mom would ask you that? Man, one question I want to be like, is Nothing. And then, what did you do? Do I have to answer that? How many of you have ever said that? Do I, do I have to answer that? Man, why, why do you not want to answer that? Why did I not want to answer that question with Justin or with throwing the crab apples off of the tree? The ice cream thing, my parents didn't find out until like two years ago, so just, that was cool. But anyway, uh, you know, when, when you're asked that question, and you, when you ask the question, do I have to answer that, why do you ask that? It's because you know the answer. You don't want to be asked the question because you don't want to have to answer the question. As we come to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning, we're going to find Paul. He's going to ask a question, and the people at Corinth don't want to answer the question. And the reason is because they know the answer to it. They know the answer to the question. He actually asks this question three times in just two verses. Three times in basically two and a half sentences Paul asks a question that the people of Corinth are not, the believers of Corinth are not going to want to answer. And it's that question that we're going to work with today. And so I want you to see it with me. Stand, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning. And let's work our way through this passage today. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 and verse number 1, the word of God says this, and I, brethren, so I'm speaking to believers, I, brethren, I, I could not speak unto you As unto spiritual, but as unto carnal. There's three people that we've been introduced to recently the natural man, the spiritual man, and now the third, the carnal man. We're gonna discover something about all of them today. And Paul says, I couldn't speak unto you as unto a spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes or babies in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet are ye now, uh, yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is uh, among you even envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, and, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Two times he asks the question, three times he says the statement, are you not carnal? Paul is asking a question to these believers where they're going to have to admit some things that they don't want to admit. Are you not carnal? Is this not 
carnality. You say, well, pastor, what is carnality? We're going to look at it this morning, but I think the definition will probably surprise us. And this morning, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you the question, the same question that Paul's going to ask, and I want you and I to answer it. Are you not yet carnal? Is there some carnality in my life? And this morning, we're going to define it, see what it is, and answer that question. I think we'll be helped today. And so let's pray, and let's ask God to bless our time together. Lord, thank you again for the word. Thank you for how you use it in our life. Thank you, God, for the, uh, the truth that we can learn from it each and every day. And God, I pray as we go through the passage this morning that you would speak to us, that you would help us, that you would encourage and strengthen our walk with you and use us for your glory. Lord, I pray again, if there's someone here that does not know you as Savior, would you help them to trust in you today? And again, Father, speak to us, those that are here, those with us online, help today to be a blessing and an encouragement to each of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to the passage this morning, we find Paul asking that question, are you not yet carnal? Is this not uh, carnality? What does Paul mean by this? In order to really understand it, we need to travel back into chapter number two. Now remember with me, when Paul wrote these letters, he didn't divide them by verses and chapters. So sometimes, while chapters and verses are great because it gives us a place of reference, sometimes we can kind of lose the thought pattern that, that Paul is having. So I want you to take your Bible, go back one page to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, and let's kind of have a running start into chapter 4. Here's what Paul says. He says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. In verse 14, Paul describes the, the natural man. Well, who is the natural man? The natural man is, is one who doesn't know Christ, one who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, one who can't uh, understand the things of God because they've never put their faith in God. That's the natural man. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual, there's the second individual, he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ, all right? So now Paul brings in a second person, the spiritual man. What is a spiritual man? Well, a spiritual man would be those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they are putting God first. They're seeking him. Uh, we might word it this way, that Jesus is not only their Savior, but he is also their Lord. You see, the truth is today, and I want us to make sure we understand uh, this kind of springboard into everything. Jesus Christ could be your Savior, but not your Lord. Well, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? You could be a saved person, someone who knows heaven is where you'll spend eternity. You put your faith and trust in Christ for eternity, but you're not following him each and every day. He's not ruling your life. He's not leading your life. You're leading your life. You're sitting on the throne of your heart, and while he indwells your life and is there, he's not leading. That's the difference because Jesus being your Savior is your saved. Jesus being your Lord is he's also leading you. Does that make sense this morning? And so there's a natural man doesn't know Christ, a spiritual man. He knows Christ and is following Christ. And then you come to verse number one where he addresses that third man when he says, but I, uh, um, 
And I, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Hey, I couldn't speak to you as if Jesus was, the, was leading your life and Lord of your life. You're saved, but I couldn't talk to you that way. Why? Because you're carnal. Because you're carnal. Three individuals, a natural man, the unsaved. Spiritual man, the saved who is following Christ. The third, the carnal man. And when when he says man, we know he's talking about just the humanity. <clears throat> Here's what I just want us to remember this morning, that when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, you can never lose that salvation. Aren't you thankful for that today? Man, you can't lose it. The Bible says in, in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word shall there in the Greek is a definitive verb. It means it's going to happen. There is nothing that could take away from it. I love, I've been in the book of Romans lately in my time with the Lord, Romans 8, 9. It says this, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you now. Listen, now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So don't, don't allow maybe a religion or something to tell you, well, you can be saved, but not have the Holy Spirit in you. No, the, the word of God teaches that when a person gets saved, we are adopted into the family of God and he puts his Holy Spirit into us. John 14, 15, and 16, Romans 8. There's so many other places. Book of Ephesians talks all about this, that the Holy Spirit of God moves into us and nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I love Romans 8. When it says uh, all these things, nothing can separate us. And that is the truth. Jesus said it this way. When you get saved, you're in my hand and I'm in the Father's hand and no man can pluck you out. Someone would say, well, can't you jump out? That's just kind of a dumb question. Because here's the thought. Once you get saved, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful. That's a humor. Once a person gets saved and trusts Christ as Savior, that time is when the Holy Spirit moves in, but salvation is clearly, all through Scripture, we would all agree on this, salvation has nothing to do with us. You know, he doesn't, he's, he's not like, man, uh, you know, I offer you salvation because you're such a great person. No, it's like, hey, because, because of my love, I offer you salvation. So if salvation was dependent upon us, then we can take it or leave it. I choose to be saved today. I choose not to be saved today. I choose to follow, I choose to, to trust Christ as my savior today. I choose not to trust him today. Well, then salvation is dependent upon me. But Jesus Christ only died once. He was buried once and he rose again from the grave once. And even so, our salvation is once. Once we trust Christ as savior, he moves in. You say, pastor, why do you bring that up this morning? Because I want us to differentiate the difference between Jesus being our Savior and Jesus being our Lord. Because Savior is eternal. Lord is a daily choice. And so can a person walk contrary to their salvation and still have salvation? Yes. Why? Because the choice of Lordship is ours. He's not going to force himself into our life, right? He's not going to say, "Make me king of throne, make me throne of your uh, the king of the, make me king of the throne of your heart." Uh, there's that word. Make me. Let, I'm just going to do. I'm going to take that throne. No, he wants us to willingly give it. So a person who is not 
living and following and, and allowing God to be their Lord, this person is a carnal person. Now, let me say this morning, and again, we'll just get right in this passage and jump through some thoughts. When someone who knows the Lord as, as their Savior, maybe you've been in church for a long time, when we hear carnality, listen, if you've been in church for a while, when we hear carnality, are you a carnal Christian? Are you, are you living in carnality? We automatically, we automatically jump to um, what we would call those, maybe those big egregious sins. And they might think, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not living it up. I'm not addicted to a, a, a drug. I'm not living and involved in an affair. I'm not stealing. I'm not. And so we define carnality by those big egregious sins that make headlines. But what I want us to see this morning is that while those big sins certainly are carnality, a carnal-minded Christian does, or excuse me, carnal-minded Christianity does not start with headline sins. So then what exactly is carnal Christianity? What exactly is a carnal-minded Christian? How can we identify it? And how we, like the believers at Corinth, how can we say, yes, I'm carnal, or no, I'm staying away from that? I want us to notice a few thoughts from our passage this morning. First of all, I want you to notice with me that a carnal-minded Christian is immature in their growth. A carnal-minded Christian is immature in their growth. Look with me at verse 1 and verse number 2. Paul says, I, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes or babies in Christ. He says, I tried to feed you with meat, but I couldn't. I had to give you milk. In these verses, Paul is saying to them, He's saying, I haven't been able to speak up, speak to you as a, as a grown-up Christian. Instead, I've had to speak to you as babies in Christ. Why? Because you're carnal. Because you're still allowing your flesh to control you. I, I wanted to speak to you of deep things, but, but you couldn't handle it. Verse number two, he says, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto, because of this, you weren't able to bear it. That phrase, able to bear it, means you couldn't stomach it. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, handle the deep things that I wanted to give you. It's like Paul is saying this. Hey, listen, I wanted to teach you this lesson, but I had to teach you this lesson. I wanted to teach you meat and deep truths, but I had to teach you these things that while they matter, I should be able to teach you those deep things, the meat. I had to give you milk instead. That word hitherto, it means up until now. So up until the writing that Paul sent to Corinth, they were immature and they were not understanding because they were not growing. They weren't growing Christians. They were immature in their growth. You're a, he's saying, hey, you're still a baby, but you shouldn't be. You're babies, but you're too old to be babies. Those of you that have kids, you remember when your kids first started those mumbling words? You know, the, the baby talk. You know, you're, you're trying to, man, the dad is always like, he's going to say dad first, you know. I mean, uh, he loves me the best, you know. And so all the time he's going, he's going, dad, da, dad, da, you know, dad, da. And say, say dad, da. And mom's like, no, 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 say mama, mama, mama. Mom, come on, you can do that. No, dad, dad. No, mama. No, dad, dad. No, mama. And then their first word, Dennis's first word was hi. 
That's not dad or mom. Come on, man. You know, man, when they're speaking those baby words or good morning, that was it, wasn't it? Good morning. Yeah, his first phrase was good morning. Walked in and handed up. He was like, morning. He's only eight months old. What are you doing? Man, when they're, when they're babies and they're speaking those words, it's cute. It's cute. Everything about a baby, except for diapers. Everything about a baby's cute. Right? The, the way they crawl, the way they start to walk, the, the mama, the dad, dad, the, all the goos and the god, all the stuff, it, it's cute. But if you've got a 10-year-old that's like dad, dad, if you've got a 19-year-old that's like mama, it's not as cute. And I'm not talking about handicaps, I'm talking about people who, who would maybe be totally normal, but they're still talking baby talk. Maybe you've been around that eight, eight, eight or nine or 10-year-old that is still doing baby talk. It's not cute anymore. We had some discussion with some friends. You know, your third, if those of you that have two children, it's like, we're, we're okay. Third children, you're like, forget it. You're on your own. Like, we're overwhelmed. And so your third kid, you just kind of let them hang on to baby talk for a while. Micah, for a long time. Uh, he held on to baby talk. But when he was like seven, I was like, all right, we got to get over this. We're past this. This is not cute anymore. Like, we need to start saying words. We need to pronounce some things. Well, why? Because you're growing up. As you grow, your palate changes, doesn't it? Like food. I don't know about you, but when I go to lunch today, I'm not ordering smashed peas. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because I want meat. Why? Because I've grown. Why? Because my palate has changed. Here's what Paul is getting at. He's connecting, the, he's connecting the physical with the spiritual by saying, hey, listen, I wanted to give you things, but you're still in baby talk. You're still in baby food. You've known Christ for all these years. Listen, but you are immature in your growth. You're not growing in the Lord. Can I say this morning that a simple sign of a carnal Christian, we're answering the question, are we not yet carnal? A simple sign of a carnal Christian is someone who is continually immature in their spirit spiritual growth. Well, how do we identify this? Well, think about a baby. Think about that small child. Think about uh, the, the baby talk and all that, but also think about a, a baby's emotions. A baby is emotional. A baby is easily triggered. A baby, a small child, is often uh, easily offended and easily upset. Many of them, they, they can't take being told no. You tell them no, and it's... <gasps> And they, they learn to throw fits, and some never grow out of it. But they learn, learn to, to throw fits. Certain babies, listen, babies, they, they can't learn certain lessons. They, they just can't get it. They can't comprehend it. And all of that is expected in a baby. It shouldn't be expected in a 7-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 50-year-old. But spiritually speaking, this is where Paul says these people are. Hey, you should be able to handle some things, but you're too, listen, you're too self-absorbed. You're easily offended. Hey, you're unable to hear certain things. Can I say this morning, the longer that you and I know Christ, we should grow more in him. I heard a man say it this way years ago. You should desire to be close, closer to God today than you were tomorrow. There should always be growth, and we're never going to arrive but we should always be desirous of growth. Well, how do we grow? Well, we grow with a, a daily relationship with God through his word. See, for some people, listen, for some people, 
the only good dose of Bible that they get is Sunday morning. For some Christians, take the Bible, put it in the car, leave it there. Take the Bible, go home, and just put it on the counter and don't pick it up till the next week. Listen, don't stay immature in your growth. No, grow in him. How do I do that? I love Colossians chapter three and verse number 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. That word dwell, it means to be put in and to move around and to be abiding, to be something that's working in you. Let the word of God dwell in you and richly and with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Hey, you know what you and I need to do? We need to get more of the Bible into our lives so that we don't stay immature in our growth. One author wrote it this way. He said, just as the physical man needs a balanced diet if his body is to be healthy, so the inner man or the spiritual man needs a balanced diet of spiritual food. The baby begins with milk, but as he grows and his teeth develop, he needs solid food. The same is true for a Christian. And so this morning we look at this, we say, well, what is a carnal-minded Christian? A carnal-minded Christian is immature in their growth. Secondly, a carnal-minded Christian is selfish in their thinking. A carnal-minded Christian is consumed with myself. Verse number three, for ye are yet carnal. Well, why are we carnal, Paul? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Paul says to them, hey, your carnality, it is showing up in your selfishness. It is showing up in your character. You are being driven by selfishness. It's displayed in three ways. How was their selfishness displayed? Well, first of all, it was displayed in their envying. Their envying. To envy something is uh, to be zealous or jealous over something. And envy is something that is unseen because it's often below the surface. Envy is something that starts in the heart. Envy is actually used in the Bible more often than we want to talk about it because envy is a root sin. The Greek word zealos is where we get our word zealous, and that's where they get the word envy. And you can be zealous in a good way or a bad way. Well, what's an identifying a good way? Um, good way, Jesus, when he came into the temple, remember he cleansed the temple and the disciples said, you remind us of the verse where David said, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus was zealous. He was jealous for the things of God. Hey, you aren't worshiping God. You've made this a place of merchandise. He had zeal in a good way. What's a bad way? Mark chapter 10 or excuse me, Mark chapter 15, where it says this, that Pilate answered them saying, what will, uh, will ye that I release unto you Jesus, the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered Jesus for envy. They were jealous of the notoriety that Jesus was getting, and so their zealousness was now jealousy. Does that make sense? Here's what Paul is saying to them, to the church at Corinth. He's saying, hey, nothing wrong with being zealous, but your you're envying over each other. Well, how were they envying over each other? Remember where we started, chapter number one? I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Well, I'm this. Well, I'm that. And you can go through the entire book, and they were just content, continually, you could see their jealousness for notoriety. 
So their carnality was showing up in envy. Well, envy always turns into strife. Envy always turns into strife. Envy is the seed, strife is the sprout. <laughs> well, what is strife? Well, strife is that, that fighting that is caused by selfishness. Their envy, their jealousy over others were causing these believers to argue over silly things. You can go through the, the book, they were arguing over who was better because of affiliation. They argued over who was better because of spiritual heritage. They argued over who had the upper hand because of, of knowledge and knowing deep things or shallow things of God. There was strife and there was fighting because of what they uh, could and couldn't handle. They were just arguing over that. Well, we can handle meat. Well, we can't handle it. All of these different things. Well, why were they fighting? Because they were jealous of each other. They're their uh, uh, carnality was showing up in envy. It was showing up in strife. But then it was being truly displayed by divisions. That's really the much of the book of 1 Corinthians is, is this thought that when you, because of jealousy, begin to fight with others, you're going to want to find people who identify with you, and that causes division. It causes factionalism. It causes people saying, well, I'm of this camp, and I'm of this camp, and I'm of this group, and, and that's exactly what they were doing. And Paul calls them out, and he says, hey, because of this, this shows that you are walking as children of men. That phrase, to walk as children of men, it means to live like or to be occupied with the same things the unsaved person is occupied with. Hey, your carnality, you're saved, you know Jesus, but it's... It's not, you're not allowing him to lead you. No, you're living carnal. How are we living carnal, Paul? You're selfish in your thinking. It's me first. It's my way or the highway. It's what I say goes. You know, if we're not careful, we can be there. If we're not careful, we can be a carnal-minded Christian who is a self, selfish Christian. And we can make our Christianity all about us. We can make our Christianity all about our comfort. We can make Christianity all about our growth and all about uh, our stability and all about what we get and what, where we can go and how, how much we can accomplish. And we need to understand that that type of Christianity is really, let's just be honest this morning, it's just carnal Christianity. Why? Because it's consumed with self. It shows up in division. Envy is the seed. Strife is the sprout. Division, fighting, is the fruit. The believers at Corinth, they were struggling with this. And if we are truthful with ourselves, we would have to admit that we fight selfishness as, as well. And I love how one of my pastor friends says it. He says, the only way to get off of the train of envy, strife, and division is at the stop of humility. You know, one of the best things that we could do in our life is continually ask God, God, help me to remain humble. God, help me to continually see who you are. I see this morning a carnal-minded Christian is immature in their growth, selfish in their thinking, and lastly this morning is petty in their relationships. Petty in their relationships. Verse number four, while one saith I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal. You know, the believers at Corinth, they were interested in how can I be on top? How can I come out better? How can this help me? 
And if you uh, look in the Corinthian culture, that was the Corinthian culture. It was all about ladder climbing. It was about being important. How can I have power? How can I have prestige? I'm going to associate with those of notoriety because it it was all about uh, competition and all about associations. And and that's one of the reasons that, I mean, really the big reason that Paul wrote to them, hey, this is causing such division that you are literally ruining your relationships because you are majoring on the minors. You're, You're fighting over little things that don't matter. They were celebrating their carnality because they were just uh, really identifying themselves as a Corinthian rather than identifying themselves as a Christian. And the fact of the matter is that a a carnal-minded Christian is going to have that mindset of how can I come out on top? We, We can look at relationships with what can I get from this rather than what can I give to this. And this morning, when we look into 1 Corinthians chapter number three, I believe Paul is being very direct and Paul is being very clear. He's being very direct and very clear in helping them understand, hey, you have a choice. You you can stay the natural man, unsaved. But he's writing to believers, so these believers is this choice, hey, You can be spiritual and led by the Lord, or you can be carnal and led by your flesh. And he asks them that question, are you not yet carnal? The Corinthian believers, though they had been saved and they were sure of their eternity, they were not living and following as a a Christian, as a Christ follower. As I've said through the series, they were more like Corinth around them than the Christ within them. And now they're being confronted with this question. They probably don't want to answer it. Why? Because it revealed to them where they were really at. Well, this morning, before we go, I want, to, I want us to be asked the question. Not the question, are you yet carnal? I want us to kind of come back a little bit and look at this entire passage with a little bit of what you'd call a bird's eye view. And I just want to ask you a three-word question. Who are you? Say, so what do you mean, pastor? Who are you? Are you the spiritual man? Are you someone who you, you, you today, before you and God, in your own heart, you could say, God, I believe that, I, that I'm pursuing you. You're not just my savior. Lord, thank you for salvation, but I recognize that I can love you in return and live my life following you. Are you the spiritual man? Who are you? Are you the spiritual man? Who are you? Are you the the carnal man? Are you saved? You know Christ is Savior, but you're immature in your growth. You haven't been growing because you haven't been getting in the word. Maybe, Maybe you're saved and you know the Lord is your Savior, but but you've been selfish in your thinking. It's been, what can I get? What can I do? How can I come on top? And maybe today you've been petty in your relationships. Are you carnal? Are you a Christian who, although Jesus is your savior, maybe this last week he wasn't your Lord? The third, maybe you're here and you're still the natural man. You don't know Christ as your savior. You don't know if you died today that you'd go to heaven. You don't know that, there's, that you're forgiven because of the cross of Jesus Christ. 
This morning, I ask you that question, who are you? And I hope that every one of us would answer it. If you're the spiritual man, if you're the one that says, Pastor, honestly, before you, not before me, before God and before my own heart, I'm trying to pursue him. Here's the decision I want you to make. If you're the spiritual man, and, and some of us, some, some of you here are, maybe this morning the decision you need to make is, God, help me to keep seeking you. God, I'm never going to arrive. Help me to stay hungry. Help me not to f- step into carnality. If you're the carnal man, the decision you need to make this morning is, God, this week, help me to allow you to sit on the throne of, your heart, throne of my heart. Help me not to be consumed with myself and selfish in my thinking. Help, help me not to be petty in my relationships. God, help me not to stay immature. Help me to grow. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.